Welcome to another episode of the Renegade Reports. I'm Jonathan. Let's try that again. And I'm Ramon. Sometimes I don't get the board right. I'm just a doctor. How you doing? One can't complain. It's a great day in our democracy. Constitutional Court is handing Zoom his ass as we speak. Yeah, I think uh, it's nice to nice to see occasionally when uh, when uh, things go correctly. But I, I, I'm uh, as we've seen before. I'm pretty convinced that uh, nothing will happen. Unfortunately. Well, no, of course it won't. Uh, most of the NEC is beholden to him for their jobs. So, you know, private interests are far more important than the rule of law, as we will find out soon enough. Yeah, and also private interests more important than people in general in the country. You know, screw the country as long as we're uh, winning, I guess. Right, so uh, let's uh, stop talking crap and uh, talk a whole bunch of crap for an hour. Uh, our guest today is Jeremy Nell. Most of you will know him as Germ. Uh, he is obviously a cartoonist that you see quite often uh, coming up on your timelines, uh, coming up in your newspapers, on your news feeds, on your television. Uh, he essentially quit a corporate job uh, more than 10 years ago because he thought, nah, screw this shit, and uh, went into uh, cartooning without any formal training. Believe it or not, you don't even need a BA degree for that. And uh, and let me just mute uh, Ramon because he's gone off into the corner to have a laugh. Uh, so he's been fortunate enough to um, receive quite a number of awards. I wouldn't say fortunate. He's uh, very much deserved all of them. Uh, Journalist of the Year Award from Vodacom in 2011. Uh, one of the top 200 young South Africans, Mail and Guardian. We talk, talk to him a bit about that. Uh, and uh, even Men's Health thought he was one of the most inspirational men. I don't know if they put him on the cover, but uh, definitely inspirational. And uh, you will obviously, as I've mentioned, have seen his work all over the place, Sunday Times, uh, FHM, Playboy, EWN, ENCA, and uh, where else? Well, the Daily Maverick, of course. Oh, goodness me, can't forget the Daily Maverick, of course. He's uh, the one of the few centrist people at the Daily Maverick. Uh, so, without uh, too much um, further nonsense from me, uh, Jeremy, how are you today? Well, thank you. How are you? Good, man. Good. It's great to have you on. Thanks for coming on. Uh, this is episode six, so technically uh, it's our last episode, but uh, we, we will have some good news at the end of the show. But uh, thanks for coming on, and we, we're looking forward to a good chat on everything about freedom of speech. Thank you for having me. Right, Jeremy. So, uh, you know, state capture is a, is a big word these days. Uh, people think it started with the Guptas, but it started, uh, you know, way before then. However, you were the original uh, chief propagandist of the New Age. Is that not correct? It is correct. Uh, in, uh, I was drawing for the Times newspaper in, well, between 2007 and 2010. And uh, when the New Age uh, launched... Well, just before they launched, in fact, they contacted me and asked me if I wanted to uh, draw their official editorial cartoon. Were you contacted by the Guptas themselves? 
No, not by them, but by the editorial team. And you didn't say no. I mean, come on. Well, uh, I knew at that stage that it was controversial, and I actually went to a few uh, of my mentors who are in the media, um, but but in terms of editors, and um, you know, I was quite open, and I asked them what they what they thought, and they said, "Look, the worst that can happen is that you'll get fired or that you can resign, and uh, the best that can happen is that you get paid and that you will." continue drawing satire and uh, the irony is that everyone thought at that stage that well that journalists and I suppose cartoonists like myself would be muzzled um, but ironically it wasn't the case and I think it's because they wanted to present themselves as a, a fairly independent uh, newspaper so which is why I ended up drawing for them for two years uh, won those awards that you mentioned earlier and uh, and then was eventually fired did they give you any reasons for your firing? Well, uh, technically, yes. The legal team stated that I um, that that my uh, editorial and political position was no longer aligned with with theirs, and that was just before the big um, uh, ANC conference, uh, where where things were going to change quite dramatically. I forget now what it was. It was Mangalung. Yes, correct. That was the one. Yes. Uh, so they actually said that you didn't align with their political sort of views, w which means they were admitting to having a particular political stance and, and saying they were essentially biased. Yeah, I suppose you could put it like that, yes. Well, that is quite refreshing because, I mean, most newspapers, you know, they, they portray themselves as objective and um, and they're really not. So I think it's refreshing that the New Age appreciates the fact that they have a political position yes um, i i completely agree and in fact i wish that more publication took a position um instead of trying to cater to everyone and then ending up uh, looking like clowns do you think uh, anyone else in the media sort of does do that uh, maybe they don't state it but specific uh, papers that that cater to certain market groups look uh, the the ultimate market uh, target market will obviously be those who pay at the end of the day um, and so so although I guess publications across the board try and be as independent as possible, I think we all know that that they generally have uh, left of center um, ideological ideological positions almost always um, which which does make uh, things quite quite complicated if you're trying to be um, satirical at times because satire can often seem to be uh, right of center. Yeah. Uh, I mean, was there a specific sort of cartoon at, at uh, the New Age that you think sort of set them off? No, it was a particular series of cartoons and, and more specifically, anything related to Zuma. Um, in fact, I know, I know for a fact, um, because I had four editors there, I know for a fact that Every time I, I did cartoons that were profoundly critical of um, Zuma, uh, the, the Guptas would, themselves would meet with the editor and, and discuss the cartoon and, uh, and wonder if it was necessary to publish or, or not publish, what kind of message it would send out. Um, and, and quite often they would publish because they wanted to uh, present the, the, um, their position of, of, of being um, independent. Um, but they didn't like it. 
Wow. So, well, that's, I mean, that's an interesting insight into that paper, into the Guptas and, and, and how involved they actually are in running it. Uh, you would think essentially as investors that they would, they would stand off a little bit. Uh, were there any cartoons that they didn't publish? And can you tell us what they were? There were many that they didn't publish. But hold on, before I, before I um, talk about that, I'm, I must just state categorically that despite um, all the, uh, the the negative you know rep that they that they get, I actually had quite considerable um, independence and freedom. I mean, if it weren't for that, I wouldn't have won my awards that I did. Um, ironically, um, I've I've been muzzled often a lot more by other media outlets. Would you believe? So, um, and I, I, I can't quite figure out why that is, but I suspect it has to do with what I said earlier about, about the position of trying to um, yeah. be perceived as independent. Um, in terms of uh, cartoons that were um, censored or even rejected, that kind of accelerated in my second year. Um, my first two editors were, were, were very nice. Um, and in fact, one of my one of the best editors I ever worked with was the third editor, Ryland Fisher. Um, and, and he and I are good friends today. Uh, and he, he, uh, defended my cartoons quite a lot. Um, he, he believed strongly in, in, in satire and, and publishing, um, harsh criticism, but he and I left the new age at more or less the same time. Um, and when, uh, when, when Muxin Williams took over, uh, as the fourth editor, that was when, uh, things became quite, quite difficult for me. Um, in the sense that I think he he um, he wanted car- cartoons that were stronger or more aligned with the editorial position of the New Age, whatever that might have been, um, because it was never uh, uh, exclusively laid out. If you if, if that makes sense, yeah, it's 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 easy to talk about a political position or an editorial position, but when it's laid out on paper. Or in black and white, it's it's a bit harder to <laughs> to find. <laughs> no, uh, that that is a valid point. Um, so so after the new age, you, you then moved to EWN uh, for Prime Media for seven hundred two, and then yes. you, you, then you left there to go to ENCA. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. So what happened was um, it, it made a little bit of of, of media uh, news when 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 I got canned. And uh, Zapiro drew a cartoon for um, the Mail and Guardian, I think it was, uh, or was it the Times? I forget now which newspaper. And that that helped actually uh, get me reemployed uh, because at that stage I was drawing very much five day a week uh, political satire, um, and I wasn't doing uh, much other stuff. I was just focused on sort of all my eggs in one basket, which is very different today. And um, and so EWN. Uh, well, Prime Media contacted me quite quickly, um, and uh, and that was also quite interesting because it's a radio, it's a radio network, uh, you know, a news network. It didn't really make sense at the time, but they wanted to push this idea of social media as their uh, publishing platform, um, and they would use the radio to to discuss cartoons when when and where necessary. And it actually turned out to be a phenomenal success, um, and it, it just grew so quickly that that now uh, they've got two cartoonists. Um, we took over from me, and about a year later, ENCA um, offered me very much the same kind of position um, as, as EWN, uh, but this time it was related to TV, uh, and that, that in my mind made a, a bit more sense as well because there's there's now an actual visual that you can 
attached to to my work. Um, but that, that that didn't really work. Well, it worked well, but I I I don't know what happened. I I found myself getting censored quite a bit. Um, maybe because I was getting angrier and angrier as as you do. Um, and uh, <laughs> and eventually they wanted to branch out and and take on multiple cartoonists, which they which they're currently doing. And I I left. Uh, they didn't renew my contract. And after that, um, that was when. I, I decided to change things up quite a bit and and spread my wings a lot more. All right, James. I mean, that, that's a good background. So, I mean, you, you've been employed numerous times by different media organizations. So, I, I think you have a fair view of what you know. What, what what's the point of satire in a in a democ- well, so-called democracy like ours? So, we we never reached the point. Uh, you know, like the Danish cartoons or, or Charlie Hebdo, where you know people have been offended, but there's no real action taken by people on cartoonists. I mean, people have been fired for for satire. Like David Bullard is an excellent example of that. Do you feel that people know what satire is meant to do? No, I I, I think yeah, well, actually yes and no. I think I think people. Um, I think that satire is meant to be reporting a lot of the time. Um, it's not. I, I'm not a journalist. I've never been a journalist. And to, to align you with journalists is an insult to journalists. Um, I, I merely react um, and sometimes predict, but I merely react. Uh, and, and what I do is very much meant to be taken with a pinch of salt. Um, it's not meant to be... Um, True, and at times, at times it might be hard hitting and might ring true, but it doesn't mean that it must be taken as as factual or as a type of reporting, you know. Um, so, so I think the satire also has a perception of being very negative, um, and and that's very understandable, but it actually isn't. Um, I I've always said that satire is positive uh, because you are mocking mediocrity, not excellence. You can't mock excellence. You can only mock mediocrity for the sake of betterment. So, in other words, we'll keep going after Jacob Zuma because we want him to to be better. The the truth of the matter is nobody actually wants the president to fail because if the president actually fails, the economy fails, and we all end up worse off. Everybody deep down inside wants the president to be a great success and the party to be a great success. But because of corruption, etc., etc., we lampoon and and take the piss out of all those people we think or those institutions that we think are being mediocre. And unfortunately, people often uh, perceive it as being racist, um, as we heard recently, mm. or whatever else it might be. I mean, I remember uh, friends of mine who, who draw for EWN, remember they had the clown cartoon that, that got them into trouble. Which one was that? Where they uh, where they drew the voters and referred to them as clowns. Oh, yeah. I just I, just to kind of interject there. I I wanted to know if you say you can only really do satire about something you know mediocrity essentially, not excellence. Yes. Does it then become more difficult? Are there certain characters who are quite excellent who you know you can't include or you've battled to include at all? Absolutely. I remember I, I spent a morning with, with Desmond Tutu and 
I think he's a really, really, really great guy. He's, he's funny. He has a good heart. And he genuinely, well, the perception I get from him is that he genuinely wants people to be better off and to be happy. I think it's quite hard to fake that for 80 years. Yes. And to, so to mock him, it just doesn't sit well with me. And so you'll find that very few cartoons that I've done of him are, are, are heavily critical of him. I've done a few cartoons where I've, where I've mocked him a little bit here and there. But it, it is difficult to, 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 to mock people who you hold high esteem. Um, Mandela, you'll find almost not a single cartoon anyway that's critical of him. Most cartoons have him in some sort of position of excellence, um, and the mockery happens around him. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, Jim, going back to, to satire itself, I mean, is, is it holding power accountable? Are, are you the court gesture of um, a liberal democracy, do you think? Yes, definitely, along with other entertainers um, and, and comedians, etc. Uh, and also, I, I, see, I see satire as a type of uh, uh, heat gauge, a, a thermometer of, of, of how democracy is doing. So the more democratic the country, strictly speaking, the more satire should be tolerated and, and encouraged. And of course, the, the more suppressed it is, then... You know the the lower down that thermometer um, ends up. Okay, so if we use the example of the Danish cartoons uh, of Charlie Hebdo, um, you know, what does that say about not only sort of the fascist type of states where these things aren't allowed, but even sort of the liberal West uh, where you know it's being we're being told well. Satire is fine, but if you extend it to drawing the Prophet uh, Muhammad, then that's uh, that's offensive. Don't do that. And you might get that's shot, and some of us might even uh, justify you getting shot for that. It's a very strange scenario. Uh, this this um, this Islamic part of uh, the world that we've entered, um, where the people on the left claim. Um, all sorts of uh, media freedom and tolerance. But how many newspapers in this country have published um, armored cartoons? Almost none. And when those Danish cartoons came out um, overseas, um, they were uh, there was an interdict to stop them from being published here, if you, if you remember. The Mail and Guardian uh, attempted to publish them, um, and it was a very, very fast court decision that, that blocked them, um, which I find quite interesting. Yeah, um, do you remember what the reasoning was from the judge? Um, I think it had to do with undue offence um, or unnecessary offence, and um, for the for the sake of offence, uh, because because it was everyone was seemingly uh, ganging up. And and of course, we can just again say people just don't get freedom of speech. Well, yes, Gareth was quite correct when he said that, um, but. Um, the thing with the, the thing that I, that confused me a lot uh, was was yeah you've got um, a religion of peace and tolerance, but yet let a let a cartoonist or a few cartoonists draw Muhammad, you know, and and and, 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 and chaos ensues. Yeah, yeah, we saw chaos and we saw embassies being attacked. Um, so. I I didn't obviously ever ever jump onto that bandwagon for numerous reasons, which I can get into. Um, 
But it, it, it is quite interesting how, how the left love to, 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 to cite free speech, but then suddenly, um, you know, restrict it. Well, they like free speech and they like freedom of expression, provided it's the speech they like and the expression they like. Uh, you know, the minute you violate that, they tend to get upset. Uh, Correct. Maybe let's go into it a bit because, uh, you know, terrorism interests me in that uh, it really serves a purpose to of fear. I mean, terrorism isn't just about the, you know, 20 or 100 or 300 people you kill at the time. It's got to do with uh, placing fear into that society. So, you know, cartoonists don't draw that. Uh, you often find uh, there's a lot of Twitter feeds that have this debate where um, one particular sort of parody protagonist on Twitter often challenges people to uh, he'll have a competition where he draw he'll draw Jesus uh, and someone else will have a competition uh, we, the person he's arguing with must have a competition where they draw Muhammad uh, and you know uh, then, then they can prove the religion of peace argument um, so I'm just wondering in terms of your standpoint in terms of not even going down this road is, is it is it a let's not just get involved with this I, I don't need this in my life that's that is mostly it because um, on the one hand, drawing a cartoon doesn't take five minutes. Okay, so so drawing a cartoon normally takes a, you know, a good portion of the day, and that that portion of the day could be in making money. Now, no no newspaper or publication is essentially going to pay for a Muhammad cartoon. That's just the reality, um, because for whatever reason, um, they're not going to publish it. Yeah, the terrorists so, have won. So yes, but it's also just a waste of my own time uh, to to now draw a cartoon that I know is going to end up nowhere. So what do I just put it onto social media, knowing that I'm going to get loads and loads and loads of bullets? Yeah. Uh, and is it is it worth it? Do I weigh up the pros and the cons in that respect, or am I just trying to go to make the point? And if if I'm just out to make a point, um, because of, you know I, I, because I've been fired so many times, I would assumingly have lots of free time. Um, I would do, do. I just draw the cartoon and uh, put it out there for for everyone to fire bullets at me and and wait for the handful of people to to defend it, uh, or you know, or do I just keep it to myself? Of course, I've drawn Muhammad um, in my own sketchbook and laughed with my close circles. But but am I going to put it out there? I don't know. Is it worth it? I don't know because. Um, I know I know what the response is going to be. I know what it, I know what's going to happen, and I know that <clears throat> I'm going to get people moaning and complaining, and and then I'm going to get potential potential um, issues with my current editors. Not worth it. Uh, who, who, who pay me? And at the end, and, and let's be honest, bottom line counts the most. I'm I'm not a I'm not an activist. I'm a cartoonist who's who's making a living. Yeah, um, so, I think that's called so, white monopoly capital, Jim. Please. Yes, that's exactly what it is. You know, us evil capitalists. But, but I mean, Jim, Zapiro drew Mohammed once, if I remember correctly, a very benign cartoon of Mohammed on a couch speaking to a psychologist and with something yes. to the effect of, I wish my followers understood that I don't care too much if I'm drawn. It's something to that effect. And, and I do yes, remember and there was an uproar around that. It, and it wasn't about the cartoon. It was simply that he depicted Mohammed. And that's the problem. It doesn't matter what the cartoon is or what the message is, if it's positive or negative or, or even bland, the fact that he's been depicted 
it completely overshadows everything else in the cartoon. And and when he published that cartoon in his book, he he edited it. it, it the, the the version that's in his book doesn't look the same as the one that you saw in the Mail and Guardian. But then how, how do we fight this, Jim? I mean, I understand you need to make money, and you, you know you're not a provocateur. You're not you're not. Um Who's a good provocateur? Anyway, but you, you're not there you're to. Not Gareth Cliff. Yeah, you're not there to stir the pot for no reason whatsoever. You want to stir the pot and make money from it. Um, yeah, great. Right. I mean, do you think that there will be a time and place where we can, where you can draw Muhammad freely, um, or because I don't think the average person or the average African really cares. It's the editors that hold that power. Yeah, it's great. It's the editors. Um, maybe. Maybe if there were a campaign of sorts that 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 um, included this, some sort of collective, because as they say, there's apparently safety in numbers. Yeah, uh, I, but I, um, I think Salman Rushdie might argue that. But yeah, yeah, and also uh, what's his name, uh, comedian from the UK now uh, who does all the one-liners, oh, Jimmy yeah. Carr. Oh, yeah. is he in trouble? Ah, uh, no, no, no. He just has a. a Completely un-PC oh. one-liner about safety numbers. No, no fatwa oh. out it. <laughs> um, yeah, I suppose it's more about, uh, Ramon, I guess it's more about when the time is right, if this is some sort of campaign uh, to educate. But in the meantime, let's be honest, people are going to just, yeah, most people don't care, you're right. But the ones who do care are very vocal and very loud and can certainly contact uh People who can who can have you fired. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, because... but I mean, it just shows that editors have no balls whatsoever. I mean, it's a minority holding a majority to ransom, and and the editors are too shit scared to do anything about it, so they will fire you. I mean, we can talk about da- is... David Bullard, for example. Yes, I've got a better example, which is, uh, and you know, we picked on the Islamists for a good uh, ten minutes. Uh, let's uh, pick on our president, the ANC, who had a painting done of him, which was satire, essentially, uh, the spear. And uh, then the editor of the City Press, who is well-admired, well-regarded, Feral Hafiji, she uh, withdrew it. So, you know. Yes. And I, I actually remember having lunch with um, with Brett um, after that whole that whole fury. And, uh, <laughs> and I said, so what are you going to That's the artist who drew the spear, eh? Yeah, yeah, Brett Murray, yeah. Uh, I, had, I had lunch with him. And um, <laughs> so I said, what are you going to paint next? And he goes... I'm going to paint a fucking landscape. <laughs> <laughs> Can't offend anyone. What, a, a, yeah. land, a landscape of Nkandla. One hopes. The, the, problem, <laughs> the problem is, is if it was a South African landscape, it'd be of stolen land. So, you know, I mean, that's highly offensive. <laughs> uh, so, and I remember also drawing, um, I, I did a cartoon for, for um, Feral. Um, it was going to be published that Sunday. And, I finished the cartoon and it had gone through and it was laid out in the newspaper. And at the very, very last minute, she decided, look, she contacted me and said, I've, I've seen enough of the president's penis. I think I'm going to pull the cartoon. Um, so the cartoon was, was pulled because I had drawn his, his, his penis in the cartoon. Um, so <laughs> uh, it was, there was a whole thing about, um, um, about his penis being, being exhibited too often. And to be fair, uh, she, she did um, publish quite a lot of stuff, you know, relating to the spear, whereas other other publications didn't. Um, I, I remember, I think at that stage, when was it now? What year? Um, uh, Twenty eleven, I think. Was it that long ago? Jeez. 
Well, 2011, 2012, somewhere around there. Yeah, I, and I remember there were a lot of cartoons coming out at that stage about it. Um, it was, it was, it was actually, it was actually great material, to be honest. Um, but I, I also, I just quickly wanted to make a point, just about something to do with um, Zapiro and the uh, Mamet cartoon. Another issue that that we must also remember that your relationship with the editor is very, very important. Um, most cartoonists don't have particularly strong or close relationships with the editors, um, and so therefore they won't, you know, get certain cartoons through. Um, people often forget that that we are very, very, very dependent on on that, you know, that relationship with the editor, which is why he was able to to run um, that Muhammad cartoon, but no other newspaper would would likely run a, a Muhammad cartoon. Um, lots of newspapers ran spear cartoons, and they still do. Uh, you know, de- depending yeah, on how fast the cartoon is, I guess. It seems, um, you know, J- Jacob Zoom is certainly not off sides as far as the newspapers are concerned. Uh, I mean, I think there are levels to which they won't push it, and, and the spear was quite worrying in a sense because, you know, that, uh, as far as I'm concerned, that was essentially unconstitutional, just never went through an actual court process. So they... Uh, marched to the gallery and intimidated, and you know there were a number of threats, etc., uh, towards City Press and to I think to towards Feral Hafiji in in a, uh, her own person, um, and and yeah, and to the artist as well. Uh, yeah, he had to live in a different house for for I think two or three weeks. Yeah, you see that that kind of stuff really concerns me because uh, you know how far is it from that point to the point where we kind of get to a level of, I imagine in Zimbabwe, you, you can't say, in fact, I don't imagine, it's a fact, you can't say anything negative about Robert Mugabe uh, in that country. Uh, you, you, Middle Eastern countries are much similar. There's some Asian countries which, which do the same thing. Uh, it's sort of a sort of hop, skip, and a jump, you know? Uh, what are your feelings on that? And, and, you know, was that one sort of flash in the pan, or is it, is it a, a general issue? Look, I, I do think I do think that South Africans are a lot more hard edged than than uh, what we like to believe. I think South Africans generally have a, a fairly good sense of humour and a very raw sense of humour, and still can handle um, the kind of humour that I know that Americans get way too offended by. I, I, that's the one great thing um, about about our country is that South Africans generally are very good. I think when it comes to uh, satire. Um, it's just that the people on social media are generally too intellectual for their own good, and and they're only a small number uh, who happen to be very loud. Yeah, but intellectual my balls, Jim. Come on, they they fucking anti-intellectual as they come. Yeah, but you know what I mean. <laughs> um, pseudo pseudo intellect. Yes, um, but I think most people generally appreciate. I mean, you can go into into rural areas and see. Paintings that would never, you know, that would would never make it past Twitter, um, because people do do actually have a higher intellect than than, than Twitter would have you believe. Uh, and and and, and Ramon was right when he said earlier that that South Africans don't really care, and they don't. They they actually do have a good sense of humour by and large. Unfortunately, those by and large are very quiet on social media. Because they've got better things to do with their time. I mean, we, we can talk about comedy in general, which is, which is, you know, an utter disappointment in this country. Um, you know, you're only funny if you mock white privilege and 
or you know you put on accents like there's there's no real comedy that wants to challenge the status quo and um i mean same for 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 satire in general the, the odd thing is most people w- do tend to appreciate it but the ones who hold the powers on on twitter or you know editors are the ones that are scared which is quite odd so there's a bit of an irony there it's a very big irony and it's and it's quite unfortunate so, Jim, uh, I mean, in, in this uh, democracy for now, uh, you know, things are sliding along fairly well. Uh, we're going to hit junk status quite soon. The president has been, you know, the constitutional court has found him that he, um, what what do you call it, he didn't uphold his oath correctly. Do you find that the satire is becoming more difficult, not because of a lack of material, but because... People are worrying about other things. Uh, um, satire, actually, you would you would think that that there's a lot of material, uh, but the problem is with with satire, with political satire in particular in South Africa, is that uh, most of it, ninety five percent, is just focused on um, the ANC and in, in particular Malema and, and Zuma. And so, when you when you zoom in a little bit, you, you you find that there isn't that much material because no one really cares about um, the finer issues that you can that you can um, parody, you know. And and if you try to if you try to get if you try to make a comment about let's say I don't know education, um, yeah, or trade deals. Or things that really do matter economically, most people don't really care. But if you do a cartoon about racism or, or the president, you, everyone suddenly cares. And it's strange because because it almost seems that that there are so many more. Um, uh, there's, there's so much more subject matter that can be satirized. It just doesn't seem to be in the public interest. For whatever reason it might be, and this is this is bizarre concept of, of, of anti-racism, which which just dominates social media. You know, it's it's as if there aren't any other issues other than racism. That's it. That's it. Racism and the president. That's yep. it. Those are the only two issues that 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 we face. <laughs> well, and we know from research that racism is not as big an issue as everyone says it is. But you know what's you know what's your feeling on on the sort of industry of racism that's been created? I mean, you've alluded to it a bit in terms of what happens on Twitter, uh, but you know, how do you feel? What's your feeling on on that in general, just as a as a general um, progression in our society? It's a, it's a growing, I would call it a problem. Look, I'm going to get shot for this, I think, but I don't think racism is as as big a problem as what social media makes it out to be. Racist. How dare you? I don't even think being a racist is necessarily a problem. Um, For example, let's talk about Aranya, right? So, yeah, you've got a town of, let's say, 1,200 people, whatever the population number is, and it's probably the country's crappiest location, probably the crappiest town ever, and I don't think anyone um, would want to live there other than those 1,200 people who are proudly mm-hmm. Afrikaans want to hold onto the heritage. And they're most likely racists. Who knows? But they most likely are. Uh, but so what? Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. It's the, the problem, well, it's, it's the whole concept of a thought crime. Well, yeah. It, it, 
you know, as, as, as economist and philosopher Thomas Sowell once said, racism is a thought, discrimination is an action. So what should be, I think, uh, more concerning is discrimination uh, from a state level and, and uh, responding to that. It, so, so what if someone says something that's racist? You can have a field day mocking them because that's your, you know, your right to express speech. But yeah, and you can call them but, out on but, it, obviously. Yeah, you can absolutely. But at the end of the day, it hasn't really hurt anyone. Uh, it's just words. Yeah, I mean that's interesting because we've got you know the Equality Court, I think it is. Uh, I, I, I forget we've got all these sort of ancillary courts uh, to deal with people's hurt feelings. Which essentially does say this was the whole argument about you know the the whole freedom of speech versus racist sort of comments, which is you know the constitution says you can kind of say anything and as long as you're not inciting violence. Uh, whereas there's sort of a the, I think it's I think it's it's not the it might be the Equality Court Ramon yeah no there's the Equality Act yeah there we go so. The Constitution says you can say anything as long as it's not incitement of violence, but then there's Equality Act, which kind of says if you, in saying that, hurt someone's feelings, then uh, that's a problem. I, I, I just I cannot understand how that is part of our law. I also don't. And I remember um, in the States, the high, the high Court ruled in favor of Westboro Baptist Church, which, for those who don't know, is a... Um, Racist, hate hateful. Yeah, yeah, they're a hate group. It's it's basically Westboro Baptist Church and Black Lives Matter. They're they're basically the opposites of the same spectrum of hate of hate. Basically, a church who just really hates gay people. And but ironically, they won um, a court case, and they win most of their court cases, which is how they make um, most of their money because they get sued and win. And as much as it it infuriates the rest of us, the court is almost always correct when it states that free speech and hate speech are not compatible. Um, um, so in other words, you can't have free speech and hate speech at the same time. Because then, because it doesn't make sense logically, you, you can either have one or the other, or you can have um, limited speech with hate speech. Or limited speech with, you know what I mean, you, you can't have completely free or and then still have hate speech. So in other words... If you're going to go around saying what you can, which is what exactly what Westboro Baptist Church does, they're being protected as much as it's as, much, as stupid as what it is and as hateful as what it is. They're still expressing words on banners. The I mean, moment they enter into some sort of um, in some sort of violent behavior, that becomes different. But I mean, I mean, Westboro Baptist Church are well known for having the God hates fags, you know, the those yes. those placards. In, in any liberal democracy, that should be completely normal. And then we, you know, someone can stand next to them and say, God hates homophobes. Or you can, you can mock them incessantly. The best pictures of the internet are of people holding banners next to the Westboro Baptist Church, you know, banner and, and mocking them. I mean, that's what freedom of speech is about. And, but, but yes. I, I'm 100% sure if you try to do that in this country, you will be in court. Absolutely. Um, and, and, and that's why, there, there are some weird, weird, seemingly um, obscure clauses in our Freedom of Speech Act because because free speech somehow is protected, but then there's also hate speech. And 
it does seem a little contradictory, logically speaking, um, but which is why you end up with that slippery slope that you're talking about with the Equality Act. Yeah, but I mean, the law is an arse. I mean, we know that. It's not meant to be consistent by any means. Um, so I want to just discuss, like, okay, so going on on racism, so to speak, like someone like Penny Sparrow, you know, calling people on the beach, uh, you know, we presume black people on the beach monkeys. I mean, what else do you expect from a 65-year-old white woman living in the South Coast? I mean... And um, it's stupid. It's absolutely ridiculously stupid. What What do you think is going to happen if you post something like that on Facebook or Twitter? No, absolutely. But my argument is so fucking what? You know, do you think now she's not a racist because we, we outed her and sent her death threats and uh, called for her family to be murdered? Oh, you know, what's worse? She's probably more of a racist now as a result. Yeah, I've made this point before. It's actually quite interesting um, as, a, as a good sort of point on all of this and, and the Westboro Baptist Church, I think it was Dave Rubin had um, one of his guests was a woman who was part of Westboro Baptist Church. Obviously, her whole family's in that group. Uh, and because they are so vocal and so involved in the community, and obviously people are against them, so they can't help but see the other side, uh, even if they don't want to, because people come to them with the other side, uh, you know, shouting, screaming, and with banners on as well. Uh, and so what happened to in this particular case is she ended up uh, deciding well going home and thinking about it and going hold on a second this kind of hate and you know just going after gay people because well they're gay um just doesn't seem right and she gave it a lot of thought and she ended up leaving the church uh, you know she's completely disconnected from her family as a result. Uh, it's quite an interesting podcast if you can get hold of it but the the point is is that it's what I've said is you've got to bring these people out into the light, so to speak, uh, and try and reason and rationalize with them. You won't win all the time, uh, but certainly just, you know, saying, oh, you can't say that. Don't say that anymore. Naughty. Here's a fine or you go to prison. Uh, it doesn't help the problem. No, no. In fact, um, but we know this, that's that pushing pushing issues into the shadows doesn't make them go away. It just simply pushes them into the shadows. And those shadows get bigger. Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, uh, we, we haven't reached that stage yet. We're not, we're not a mature democracy. We're still, you know, in the teenage years trying to, to find our feet in all of this, I'm afraid to say. Yes. Um, and another interesting thing about being, being um, called a racist, since we're on the topic, is I've been called a racist many times, obviously. Um, and I remember when I was on a uh, panel so, Sorry, Sorry, Jim. What's your record? My record on Twitter, I was called a racist at 5.30 in the morning. Very first tweet uh, I received, 5.30. So that's a record. Uh, no one else has beaten it. Yeah, I think I think you win. <laughs> Sorry, please I, carry uh, on. <laughs> um, I, was on a, I was on a discussion panel at the Graham Sun Festival uh, with, um, with uh, LB Sachs and Peter Foss. And, um, I'm so sorry. We were, talk- we were talking about satire and... Um, and uh, the discussion kind of led to uh, stereotyping in cartoons. And, and stereotyping is generally considered by those on the left as a big no-no. Uh, it's considered racist as well as perpetuating um, racism as well as being lazy of some of the terms. Uh, I obviously defended stereotyping as um, a device used in satire because like, like parody is a device, stereotyping is a device. For example, if I'm 
um, I did a cartoon that was actually entered into a European competition, um, and in the last round in Germany, it was um, rejected by the judges on the grounds that it is racist. Now, that cartoon was published in South Africa, and it was republished a few times, and editors and readers alike didn't ever accuse me of being a racist, but yet, ironically, in Europe, it was, I was accused of being um, a racist. And in the cartoon, it was simply Africa's big five game, right? So there's an elephant, uh, a lion, a buffalo, what's the other one? Um, leopard. Leopard, eh? Leopard, and then where the, where the rhino is, there's... Um, an Asian guy holding a pile of horns, and okay. the way I drew, the way I drew the Asian guy was uh, with one of those triangle pointy hats, wearing sort of yellow with a slightly slanted eyes. Yeah, all right. Now that was considered very racist, um, and and in fact they said to me, your depiction of an Asian man um, is very inaccurate. And I said, well, how did you know he's Asian? <laughs> it's a good point. And, and that's the purpose of, of stereotyping. It's, we all know that stereotyping is not true and it's not representative of all people. But stereotyping serves a purpose just like all other devices. And unfortunately, if you draw, um, let's say, a Jew with a big nose, um, it's a stereotype because not all Jewish people have big noses. Um, I, I get that it has a history of, of, uh, of, I suppose, hatred and racism. So I don't generally do that. And, and when I, when I've done it in the past, <laughs> I've been asked to make the nose smaller. <laughs> I think the nose um, is okay. I, I think the horns might be a problem in terms of the hate yeah. past, you know. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't, and I don't do that. But I mean, in the, I remember once upon a time, um, I would I would draw Afrikaans people, and I probably still do Afrikaans people wearing khaki and and fat and 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 talking very deliciously, and that in itself is a stereotype. Yeah, absolutely. But it's, but it's a it's a device used, and of course it's therefore considered racist. And that's the same thing as Ramon alluded to earlier about using the accents, because the accents are just exactly that; they're a stereotype. Yeah, but I mean, these people, you know, moan about stereotypes and then they say, oh, white privilege, you know, applies universally to all white people, which is in, in fact a stereotype, you know, so is the fact that ever, you know, all white people benefited from apartheid, despite them not being here, um, like myself, for example. So, I mean, stereotypes work both ways. It's only a stereotype of, of the group that you want to stereotype that's okay in these people's eyes. I think it also, I think it also does matter to some degree. If what you're doing is obviously entertainment or comedy, or if you're trying to be serious. All right. So I wanted to ask because you you seem to, and I know you from Twitter. We haven't uh, met yet in person, but um, you seem to have a kind of quite a centrist, maybe slightly right view of the world in general, uh, politically. Uh, and you know, how does that influence how you draw stuff? Uh, and also how people see you. So I know recently uh, you drew a cartoon of Donald Trump. Basically, it was a pig. Uh, you yeah. put lipstick on the pig, but you put lipstick on the backside of the pig. And essentially, the pig's uh, anus was Donald Trump's mouth. And there was, yes. there was basically shit coming out of it, right? So yes. anyone sees that cartoon, they go, cool, the guy who drew this doesn't like Donald Trump. Um Equally, though, you've made other comments about Donald Trump, which you've been nailed for because people were like, oh, you like Donald Trump. So yes. 
let's go into that a little bit. Well, remember, just because you criticize someone doesn't mean you dislike them. And, and this is something that, that I find happens far too often. People think that if you criticize the DA, suddenly you don't like the DA. Or if you criticize uh, the ANC, you, you therefore don't like it and you therefore support the DA. This is weird kind of logical reasoning or illogical reasoning that occurs. Criticizing someone um, can still mean that you like them. You just are criticizing them. So uh, I am fascinated by Donald Trump, as I'm sure most people are, because he is simply entertaining and really, really not very boring at all. Watching him at a, at a, at a, a debate is interesting because he's just very funny mm. in the way he speaks. But in the same way, Julius Malema is fascinating to watch and to listen to. It doesn't mean that you have to, because I criticize him a lot, it doesn't mean that I dislike him. I, I, I'm sure that he is quite a fun guy, you know, at home. Um, and, and I criticize Obama a lot, but I do like Obama. Um, so, so being critical doesn't mean that you dislike them. Um, or even being complimentary doesn't mean that you like them. That you, you, you're complimenting on something that, that might be good. If the ANC passes a particular legislation, let's say the ANC passes uh, um, uh, marijuana legislation that allows marijuana to be decriminalized, that, that's worthy of complimenting and applause. It doesn't mean you necessarily like the ANC. But I mean, to, to spell this out in, in, you know, in this day and age is, is, is ridiculous, to be frank. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, Jim, you and I are friends, but you know, you dress funny. I'm sorry to say, like, it doesn't mean that you're a dick or that I dislike you. You just don't dress well, for example. You know, <laughs> Thank you. same as Jonathan Witt. So we're friends, but he's like a right wing Zionist. What the hell? Uh, I, I object to that description. <laughs> um, no, so I, I think it's very important that you must be able to criticize everyone. And look, you, you mentioned centrist. I, I don't like to pigeonhole myself, and I suppose I probably am to some degree, but I, I like the way that Elon Musk summed it up uh, when he said he's sort of socially liberal and fiscally conservative. Um, I like that. That, that. that I can kind of, I can, I can dig that. Which is probably why a lot of people like Donald Trump in many ways. Uh, because, you know, the, the candidates in the States at the moment are either quite left. I mean, Hillary used to be centrist, but in, to compete with Bernie, she's basically gone left. Uh, and yeah. she's off the farm somewhere. Uh, and then you've got sort of Ted Cruz, who's very right, essentially. Um, and Donald, much as he says some crazy shit, which is quite right, uh, for the most part, he's somewhere in the middle on most things. Well, considering that he, as far as I remember, he, he's been a Democrat more or longer than he has been a Republican, historically. Yeah, yeah he's, he has been a Democrat. And, you know, if you read between the lines in terms of what he tells a rally in Tennessee and what he probably believes as a New Yorker, uh, you know, and would probably advocate for as a president, it just doesn't seem reasonable. I mean, I saw he made some ridiculous comment yesterday about um, punishing women who have illegal abortions. Uh, I, I'm just not. I'm, I'm, I wonder how much of it is rhetoric and how much of it is, uh, you know, really him. Which I suppose is is a concern in itself in in someone running for the president of that country. Look, I think I think most of it is rhetoric. I I kind of. 
a part of me actually wants him to become president, um, not because I necessarily like him or support his policies um, most of the time, some of them here and there, I guess, but um, I, I, I think it would be a nice shake-up to the whole democratic concept to, to have him become president. Mm. Uh, it would be great for, for cartoon material because yeah. um, he's, really, he's really fun to draw. Um, and, and I think in terms of his rhetoric, I think that Congress will, will, will tame him quite a lot. Yeah, uh, I, I think he's going to have a hard time um, getting past them with a lot of his stuff. At the moment, he's just looking for political points and, and voters. Yeah, I mean, it's a point I've made to people who say to me, oh, but, you know, Donald Trump and then the world is screwed. He's going to start World War III. Uh, you know, the reality is that the American president has limited power. Uh, and uh, the way the American system is set up in terms of Congress, the Supreme Court, uh, the Senate, there's a lot of hoops to jump through to do anything. Uh, you look at uh, Obama, who's you know essentially very left. He's done very little uh, to advance that agenda. Uh, Obama's well, not left. Obama's the greatest Republican president has ever been. What are you talking about? <laughs> Since Reagan. If you're talking about bombing uh, innocent civilians, yes, he probably is very far right. Uh, because he's done more of that than anyone else. Uh, but uh, certainly some of his stuff is, is off the chart left. Yeah. Okay, anyway, leaving the Americans aside. Yeah, leave the Americans aside. Well, interestingly enough, Dilbert cartoonist Scott Adams uh, was on CNN just two weeks ago, and he made a very interesting prediction. He said that he believes that Donald Trump is going to become the next president and win by a landslide. Which goes against all the polls. But as we know, the polls can't be trusted. <laughs> well, he, yeah, he just, he just says that Donald Trump is a, an absolute master when it comes to persuasion. Yeah, I, I think uh, back to our main conversation yeah. about freedom of speech, which is that yes. he's proven, you know, how far you can push that. For instance, in America, uh, I don't think you could in South Africa as a political leader with not much clout to start off with turn around and go, all Zimbabweans are rapists and criminals. Uh, and we must deport all of them. I think I don't think you would survive after that no. kind of statement, which he no, said about the I, Mexicans. And I think there is something to be said about nuance. Um, although I, I I think a lot of us hate to accept it, but nuance does play an important role at times um, in in discourse. Yeah, we 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 have to kind of still. As much as I loathe saying this, we have to sometimes just be a bit sensitive about, I guess, the things that we say or, or do simply because we know um, we can, and we can predict the outcome. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Jim. I mean, last, last point from me. I've got an idea for a cartoon of yours. You, you draw an old, old black gentleman sitting on his stoop enjoying, uh, you know, a dram of whiskey. And he says, the worst thing about apartheid was the socialism. <laughs> I like that. Let's see how long you last in your job then. <laughs> well, who's going to publish that? Well, maybe no one, but uh, if you put it on Twitter, we know that the Outrage Brigade will come after you. I've got to tell you, though, hey, when it comes to um, being published, the Daily Maverick have been absolute stars. Um... Daily Maverick tend to publish the kind of stuff that I know for a fact that other publications um, don't publish or won't publish. Um, in fact, both Zapiro and I have been reprimanded recently for going after Zuma too much. Um, yeah, with, da with Daily, Daily Maverick's a mixed kettle of fish. They've got 
you know, probably one of the best journalists in the country in Ivo, and they've got the 39th best cartoonist in, in you. Um, and then, but they give like a lot of people space to, to voice their opinions when those opinions are just like utter shit. <laughs> but isn't that isn't that the beauty it's, of? Uh... It's their prerogative, of course, and and I, you know, I understand it. But yeah, I mean, I, I prefer them more than any other news source if that if that helps. I just don't click on their left wing shit, and then that stuff doesn't get hits, and then they don't have those people back. Uh, so, and I would uh, invite everyone when you see some bullshit headline, uh, do not click on it. And even if you want to read it, uh, go to www do do not link dot com. And then paste the link in there and they don't get hits. Um, because you, we need to find a way. Jeremy, you pointed out the capitalism and the, the white monopoly capital. Well, it's very simple. They don't get hits on the rubbish articles. They don't publish the rubbish articles anymore. I think what South Africa definitely needs, though, is, is um, a, a growth in a blatant left and right media. Um, like they do in the States, where you know... Mm, where people stand. Particular... Yeah, we know the position of those media outlets. At the moment, when you've got too many papers trying to be independent, but we, you can see right through them. It's all a facade. Um, and they'll go through hoops to try and say that they're independent and balanced, but you can see they're not by the um, editorials they publish. And it would be so nice if they could just come out clean. Um, and I quite enjoyed it when the Mail and Guardian came out before the elections, stating that, that Zuma, um, the people mustn't vote for Zuma. You remember that? Yeah, I do. I, I just, unfortunately, they were preaching to the choir. And, and you know, you'd want something like the Daily Sun to come out and say that. Perhaps, yes. But remember, people like um, like Eusebius write for um, El Guardian. Yeah, well, and he's, and he's, they, he's which is why they probably said don't vote for the ANC, but they didn't say vote for the DA. I, I'm, I'm so sorry, not Eusebius. I meant Kyle Langer. Oh well, uh, you know, same side of the same side of the same coin. Yeah, yeah, he's like the chief propagandist for the ANC on Twitter. Uh, now you see, this writes for Times, something or other. I don't know. I don't read him, um, you know, because I I read an intelligent article. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, I, I think we we leave it at that point. Um, now that we've uh, ripped uh, Eusebius again, um, eventually he'll listen to our show. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, I said nothing about him. You did. Yeah, no, it was completely us. You can still have a lovely lunch with him at some point, I'm sure. <laughs> and Eusebius, if you do listen to this, uh, please unblock us. Uh, you know, you've got very fast blocking fingers, and we'd love to have you on our show. And then we can really interrogate your ideas. Yeah, you know, that one comment on Twitter was very funny about him being um, like Kepler vessels. He just blocked all day. <laughs> Yeah, that's about that's about correct. Thanks so much. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for coming on, and uh, big thank you for um, drawing our uh, our logo for the Renegade Report. It was a great pleasure. Anytime. Yeah, that's uh, so. You can all guys can all see that on our Facebook page, our Twitter page. So at Renegade underscore Report and Renegade Report on Facebook. Uh, Jim drew our logo for us, which is really great. Uh, you can send us your hate mail uh, to renegade report mailbox at gmail.com. Personal hate mail uh, or just death threats. Uh, Ramon's waiting. Uh, Roman at Roman Kabanek or at Jonathan underscore wit on Twitter. Uh, and then uh, obviously Germ on Twitter is what is he? Uh, my name is Germ. Uh, my name is Germ. Sorry, Germ. I've got you, but I have no idea what your handle was. No, it's all good. 
Alrighty, uh, and uh, that's it for the week. So, well, currently the the president's being handed uh, handed uh, Harding in the Constitutional Court. So we'll see what comes of that. Unfortunately, it's probably unlikely to be anything much, uh, but we can live in hope, and we'll catch you on the next Renegade Report. Thanks for listening. Central. I've got something important to tell you. Cliffcentral.com.